Welcome to Convention Pulpit, Wesleyan Voices Past and Present, brought to you through the Ministry of Inner Church Holiness Convention. Visit our website for an entire library of great sermons and more information on this ministry, www.ihconvention.com. Noel Scott has been a pastor and evangelist as well as a Bible college administrator. Of all the things he's been known for over the years, his Christ-like spirit ranks right at the top. In this message, he gives his personal testimony of being sanctified. I know you're going to enjoy it. feel like you're on holy ground tonight bless his name I feel that that song has lifted us up together caused us to sit together in heavenly places I want to say again how much the presence of God means to me for the presence of God does for us what nothing else can ever accomplish. No wonder David said, One thing have I desired of the Lord. What is it, David? That I may dwell in the house of the Lord. The margin has it in the presence of the Lord. How long, David? All the days of my life. Why, David? To behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his tabernacle. Aren't you glad we can take all of our questions and inquire of the Lord? Blessed be his wonderful, wonderful name. Thank God for that presence tonight. Hallelujah. I'm not sure what to do. I tell you, some people get nervous when the Lord comes. I get nervous when he doesn't come. <laughs> but I know when he comes... Everything is in good hands. <laughs> I, I repeat the story. I've, I've repeated a lot of my good friend, Brother Trotter's stories. But he used to tell about the ship that was going across the English Channel, and it was in very, very stormy seas. And everyone, everyone was so alarmed. It was a dangerous, dangerous time, and everyone was so alarmed except one little girl that was just kind of flitting about the deck, as though she didn't have a care in the world. 
And someone asked her if she wasn't afraid. She said, no, I'm not afraid. You see, my daddy is captain. <laughs> is captain of the ship. She felt like everything was in good hands. I want to let you know tonight, my heavenly father is captain of the old ship of Zion. He has landed many a pilgrim, and he's going to see us safely through by his grace, by his power. Blessed be the name of Jesus tonight. He's worthy to be praised. Worthy to be praised. Blessed be the name of Jesus. I'm so glad he took me in. He's forgiven my transgressions. And he hath cleansed my heart from sin. <laughs> I'm about to feel religious about it tonight. And Brother Evans used to say, I'll shout if you fool with me much. <laughs> he was feeling something turning over in his soul. And I'm glad we can feel the movings of the blessed Holy Ghost tonight. And I'm glad one of these days... He that sitteth on the throne of God is going to be taking that book and loosing the seven seals thereof. And uh, you remember when John uh, was caught up to the third heaven and uh, he heard this voice saying, John, come up hither and I'll show you things to come. And he got up there and one of the things he saw was one sitting on a throne and he he had a book in his hand, sealed with seven seals. Dr. J.A. Sye says probably that book was the title deed to this old world, this old earth. You see, back in the Old Testament, if you forfeited your property, a kinsman redeemer could buy it back, and the terms of purchasing it back was written in a book and sealed with the seals. And a cry went up in heaven, who's worthy? Who's worthy to open this book and loose the seven seals thereof? And they didn't find anyone in heaven or in earth or under the earth. And John said, I wept much because nobody was found worthy to open the book or to loose the seven seals thereof. But in a moment, one of the four and twenty elders came over to John and said, John, put your handkerchief away. For the lion of the tribe of Judah hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. And the Bible says they sung a new song in heaven saying, Worthy is the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb to receive power and riches and honor and blessing and glory. Oh, we ought to glorify the Lamb tonight. Blessed be that name that's above every name. <laughs> we might as well get used to it. It's going to be noisy in heaven. <laughs> We might as well get used to giving glory to the Lamb of God who alone is worthy. 
Blessed be. Did you hear what he said? John said the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands saying worthy is the lamb. No wonder Uncle Buddy said it'll be worth going to heaven just for the trip. Just for the trip. Better things are coming for the children of God. The best days are yet ahead. Thank God for the prospects of better days for the children of God. Blessed be His wonderful name. I am about to feel religious tonight. And uh, I just say, let's, uh, let's all make sure we've got our tickets bought. And let's make sure the passports are up to date. You know, if you get a passport, it has to be a recent picture. I mean, it's not what you were 20 years ago. They want a recent picture. <laughs> and friend, let's be sure that we've got everything updated. And we know that we're ready. We're ready to make that trip. Blessed be the name of the Lord. We can know, we can have the assurance that all is well between our soul and the Savior. Praise God. Hallelujah. What are we supposed to do tonight? Anyhow, <laughs> praise God. Praise God. He's worthy. He is worthy. Glory be to Jesus. Why don't we stand for a moment and praise the Lord and give glory to that name that's above every name. Lord, we want to give you honor. We want to give you praise. We want to magnify magnify that name that's above every name. Lord, we pray that everything that hath breath will praise the Lord and give thanks at the remembrance of your holiness. For thou art worthy, thou art worthy, thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive power, riches, and glory. Thou art worthy, Thou art worthy, O Lord. Blessed be Your wonderful name. Glory be to Jesus. Hallelujah. Brother Henry, do you, you all ever lead in the chorus, Thou art worthy, Thou art worthy, Thou art worthy? My voice can't do it. I think we ought to have them come back and sing that chorus. Is it Revelation chapter, is it chapter 2 or 3 if you need the words? Thou art worthy. All right. I think I know it, but I can't reach it. What verse is it? Can someone help me? Chapter 4 and verse 11. Now, I don't know what gear it's in. Do you know, sister? Sister Scott, can you help us on the piano? Do you know what gear it is? Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Just come to the piano. Thou art worthy. I just seem like we need to do something to magnify the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Go ahead. Thou art worthy.
standing for a very brief scripture reading and uh, I'd like you to keep on playing softly if you would. I think the music will go right with the scripture that I want to read. From Isaiah chapter 6 In the year that King Uzziah died I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphim. Each one had six wings. <laughs> and one cried unto another, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door moved at the voice of him that spake. And the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips and dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips for mine eyes have seen the king the lord of hosts then flew <laughs> I like this <clears throat> then flew one of the seraphim unto me having a live coal in his hand which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar, and he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this has touched thy lips. Thine iniquity is taken away and thy sin purged. Also, <clears throat> I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? Then said I, Here am I. Lord, am I fixed up all right? Here am I. Send me. And he said, Go. He said, Go. May God add his blessing to the reading of his own inspired inerrant, unchangeable, eternal word. You may be seated. God bless your hearts. Thank you so much. Well, I feel like I've been to church tonight. And uh, sometimes I make suggestions to the Lord. I don't know if you ever do that or not. Brother Kaufman has been telling us that Jeremiah did. And I even suggested to the Lord, Lord, if you'd be pleased to come in such a manner that preaching wouldn't even be appropriate or necessary or needed. I, now, I really love to preach. Anybody that knows me really well knows that I 
love to preach. But there's something else I love a little more. I love it when the Spirit of the Lord fills the sanctuary and he says, son, if you'll just step aside, I'll handle this one. I'm always delighted. But I feel like the Lord hasn't quite lifted my responsibility tonight. But I'm not actually going to preach to you, but I'm going to try to testify to you. But I'd like to just share with you tonight what I believe the Lord has laid on my heart to do. If I have one burden above all others in Christian ministries, it's to see people really get clear in the experience of holiness. I had a, a strange experience. It's, it's gone back several years now, but it was in one summer's camp meetings, Brother Pierpoint. In the first camp meeting of the summer, just as we were starting into the camp, maybe a day or two, the song evangelist came to me and said, Brother Scott, I'm not clear in sanctification. I'm seeking holiness. And I'm wanting to be sanctified, but I'm not clear. A little later, in another camp, the children's worker came to me and said, Brother Scott, you preach holiness as though it is possible to be sure that you're sanctified holy. <laughs> I said yes, and I called her by name. I do, because I know by experience God has that work for every one of us. And in the last camp of that season, my co-evangelist came to me and said, Brother Scott, I just felt like I owed it to you to tell you that I wasn't clear in sanctification. I didn't want to play the hypocrite. Now, the only reason I'm telling you that all of those were honest souls, and I appreciate honest hearts. They just told me because they wanted to be honest with me. But here's what I thought. If there are that many Christian workers that are not clear in holiness, where must our layman be? I'm afraid we're not preaching the doctrine in such a manner that they can be clear in how to get into the experience. Friend, I'm convinced it's those that have clean hands and a pure heart that's going to make it into the city. And I want to tell you, beloved, it's not difficult for me to have patience with people that have difficulty getting clear. You know why that is? Because the Lord was so patient with this boy, so long-suffering. I should have been clear a lot earlier than I was. I should have understood more readily than I did. But I'm thankful tonight the Holy Ghost didn't give up on me, but kept following and kept dealing and kept enlightening till he brought me to the place of the witness where the spirit witnessed to my heart that the work was wrought within my unworthy heart 
So what I'm going to do, even though I know 90% of the people here in this service have heard me give this before, I know it's what the Lord wants me to do tonight. It will be 39 years ago, Saturday night of this week, February 14, 1965, when the Lord sanctified me at this altar. It was in the old cafetorium over there when the first tabernacle, or the first, when that was the tabernacle, I'll put it that way, 1965. But I'd like to begin tonight by thanking God for a holiness heritage. We're living in a day when a lot of people despise their birthright. But friend, I'm thankful for my birthright tonight. My great-grandfather was a holiness preacher. I never knew him. He died before I was born. My grandmother was a holiness preacher. Some of you don't believe in women preachers, but my grandmother was already at it when I showed up. Wasn't a thing I could do about it. And I happen to believe that God calls women to preach the gospel. I really do. My father was a holiness preacher. My older brother, a holiness preacher. My father-in-law, a holiness preacher. Three brothers-in-law, holiness preachers. I guess I didn't have a chance to be anything else. And I might just throw in this little, I don't usually include this, but my grandmother told me after I had begun preaching, she didn't tell me before, but after I had begun preaching, she said, no, when I gave you your first bath, for I was born at home, that used to be the way it was done. She said, while you were laying across my knees and I was giving you your first bath, I said, Lord, make a holiness preacher out of this boy. So I'm here tonight in answer to my grandmother's prayer, for God has made me a holiness preacher, and I thank God for that tonight. As I mentioned a little bit earlier, it was in 1965, we were working at the Mount Zion Bible School at Ava, Missouri. We had a very small class that year, only three seniors. And that class was different than some classes for their senior trip. They wanted to go for a, to a holiness camp meeting. That's a lot better than some senior trips I've heard about. And since there were only three seniors... And Sister Scott and I had only one little girl at that time. And cars were bigger back then. Can you remember back there? We could all ride in one car and we came to Hope Sound for camp meeting in February. We were in the camp for several days. Brother Adcock was one of the evangelists. Brother Smool was another. I don't recall if there was a third. And it seemed like, Brother Miller, every message was on holiness. And I tell you, I was amening the truth. I loved holiness. And I believe you do too if you're really saved. Unless all you've ever seen is the false and the pretense without being genuine. I believe everyone's really saved loves holiness because God is holy. I was amening the truth. I still have notes in my Bible. Brother Adcock preached about holiness from Isaiah 35, a prepared way, a plain way, a protected way, a praise way. On, I've still got all those notes. 
I love to hear holiness preached. But you know what? Dare I say this out loud? I don't hear it preached a lot. We need a revival of holiness preaching in our day. Holiness will do for our people what nothing else can ever accomplish. I say I was amening the truth because I love the truth. I couldn't tell you all the different texts, but I tell you I was drinking it in. Then we left the camp meeting for one day so the class could have some sightseeing in the general vicinity. Then on Friday night, we were back into the camp again. Once again, the message is on, was on holiness. And isn't this interesting? I don't even know which evangelist was preaching. But the Holy Ghost, something began to happen in that service that had not happened in all of the other services we were in. For the Spirit, and I didn't understand at first that it was the Spirit, but the waters of my own spirit began to be troubled. You know, Daniel Steele says, when we get peace with God, when we get saved, we get peace with God. But he said, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, the day will come when he'll trouble the waters of our soul again. What does that mean? Does it mean we've lost ground, lost grace? doesn't mean that at all. It means that he's just ready to lead us into a deeper experience with him. But I didn't understand at first that it was the Spirit talking with me. I thought the devil was trying to bring confusion. And by the way, he does try to do things like that. He's the author of confusion, and he may try to do it right here in this service. And as, I, as my spirit was troubled and the message was on, and I wasn't clear as I wanted to be, I began to wonder, <clears throat> should I go to the altar? Should I not? Friend, I want to say something else here before I go on with this story. I want to thank God tonight that I cannot remember a day in my life when I didn't want to serve Jesus. You can talk about teenage rebellion all you want to. I never experienced it. It never was a part of my life. I thank God for putting a disposition in my spirit that hungered after reality and hungered after God. And I'm going to be honest and say, I was not always getting it done. I wanted to serve him. I wasn't always getting it done, but I really wanted to. I thank him for putting that disposition in my spirit. And I, that night, I wanted to do what God wanted me to do. But as I thought about going to the altar, I was thinking, should I go? Should I not? The devil suggested to me, what will your class think if you go to the altar? After all, you're... You're dean of the school. You're, you're the sponsor of the class. You're pastor of a church. Isn't it amazing how concerned the devil gets about our reputation when we start drawing closer to God? Now, when we're out there in sin, bringing reproach on the church and on our family, he isn't concerned about that at all. But you go to getting closer to God, he gets, what will people think if you go to the altar? So now the message was finished. And I was vacillating. Should I go? Should I not? 
when several had gone and my wife was standing by my side and she whispered over to me and she said, Honey, I'm not sure if I'm sanctified. Will it be all right if I go to the altar? Well, she wouldn't have needed to have asked me, but she did. And I said, Certainly, it'll be all right if you go. And I confided to her, I'm not too sure about myself. She went on to the altar. Many others had gone and seemed like about that time they were going to call the Christians in. So I said, I know what I'll do. I'll go forward while the Christians go. And I'll kneel down here at the front seat. And I'll ask the Lord to search my heart so I can really get clear where I am. And you know what? I really thought I was being honest. But the old carnal mind doesn't like to come out in the open and acknowledge it's there. And if we could find some way under, over, around, the old carnal nature wants you to do that rather than just saying, it's not my brother or my sister, but it's me, O oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. So that's exactly why they called the Christians in to pray. I came up and sat right about where David with them is. I mean, I knelt where he's seated tonight. And I began praying, oh God, search my heart. Show me where I am. And he was going to do that, but he was going to do it in a different way than I expected. For if I wanted an easier way, the Lord wasn't going to let it happen. He sent some old gentleman down where I was, and I didn't know who it was till three years ago. All these years, I never knew who that was. He came over and began beating me on the back. We used to do that around holiness altars, but we've gotten a lot more nice and precise and more like ice now. We used to kind of beat people on the back. And, and this fellow began beating me on the back, and he asked me a question, and I thought he must be hard hearing as loud as he's talking. He said, are you praying for yourself or these other people? Of all the questions he could have asked me. That was not the question I wanted to answer. So I didn't answer him. I thought maybe he'd go away. But he didn't go away. He beat me on the back some more and asked the same question just as loud. Are you praying for yourself or these other people? And I thought surely he'll go away this time. But by the time he came across that the third time, just as loud as he had the first two, I was convinced he was parked there till he got an answer to his question. Do you know who that man was? Fred Watson. I mean, if I'd known Fred, I would have known he wouldn't have left till he got an answer to his question. And I turned to him and I said, Sir, I'm praying for myself. And I want to tell you, friends, the first step toward real victory is an open, honest acknowledgement. Not my brother or my sister, but it's me, Lord. And God knew my proud heart needed help to come right out of the open as to what my need was. 
Friend, I'm glad the Lord always gives you grace to do what he's asking you to do. He always sends grace. I later got up from there and walked clear back to where I'd been seated in the service and walked out openly to the altar. I do not know that I would have needed to have done that, but I didn't want to leave any question marks. I wanted to be honest before God. We prayed that night, and if I happened to mention the time, I would not want anyone to misunderstand. I'm not putting the premium on how long you seek. That's not where the secret is. It's not how long you seek, but how fully you obey that determines the kind of victory you'll get. The Bible says he gives the Holy Ghost to them that obey him. And it means to become obedient even unto death, dying out to ourselves, our own will, our own way. We prayed that night till something like four o'clock in the morning. God being my witness, I did everything I knew to do. But I didn't have a witness that it was all done. Beloved, I hope I can make this point clear. I believe in seeking the Lord. There's an important distinction between doing all you know to do on the one hand and on the other hand, knowing that all is done. Friend, I believe there's a witness that comes when you have met the last condition. And I like to tell seekers, don't quit seeking till the Spirit bears witness with your spirit. You have wholly obeyed the Lord. And then you're on believing ground. I'm glad I experienced that before I read it in anybody's book. So that night I did all I knew to do, knew to do but didn't know all was done. Something similar to that occurred the next night. I was back at the altar Saturday night. Once again, the Holy Spirit revealed some more things. And I kept obeying the Lord and saying, God in His, wit in His wisdom didn't show me everything at once. I don't think I could have taken it if He had. But in His wisdom, one thing at a time. Once again, I did all I knew to do. But still, I wasn't sure that all was done. The next day was the last day of camp, and we were at the altar for a little time Sunday morning. Then came the closing service of the camp. And I was thinking as that service went on, I don't believe I'll go back to the altar tonight. I think I'll just wait till we get back home. Then I'll get this thing taken care of. But beloved, I want to tell you something. We don't get sanctified just any time we take a notion. We get in while the precious Holy Spirit is aiding, directing, leading. And if the old adversary can delay us, he can defeat us. Then there was another reason I didn't much want to go back to the altar that night. We had been way off down here in Florida where hardly anybody knew us. But that night there came into the service some people from clear up back home. 
And of all the places they could have sat in that auditorium, they sat in the row right behind Sister Scott and I. And the devil said again, what will they think if you go to the altar? After all, they've got confidence in you. So I was thinking, I don't believe I'll go back tonight. Now the message was finished. Now the altar call was being sung. I was still thinking in those terms. I don't believe I'll go back. I do remember who the evangelist was that night. It was Brother Smool. He stopped the song, stopped the song leader, and he made this statement. He said, there may be someone here tonight that's been seeking that hasn't gotten through. And he quoted the verse, the kingdom of God suffereth violence and the violent take it by force. And the Spirit spoke to me as clearly as I've ever heard him speak. He said, son, it's tonight or it's never. Wow. Brother, I began changing my plans right away. I had some more business to do at the altar. And I forgot about who was there and who wasn't there. I had to settle the question that night. Beloved, I believe if I had failed to obey God that night, I wouldn't be here preaching to you tonight. I probably wouldn't even be a Christian because you're never the same after the call to holiness. You're either far better off because you walked in the light as he is in the light, or you're far worse off because you came up to the light and refused to go in. Some of the saddest verses in all of the holy book is there in the book of Numbers where the children of Israel came right up to the border. And those spies brought back an evil report and said we're not able and convinced the people not to go into Canaan. Brother, there was weeping in the camp there that night. And well there might have been, for they were destined for 40 years to wander in the wilderness. A hundred funerals a day for 38 years till a whole generation passed. And I've known individuals who came right up to the border, but they wouldn't pay the price. In their lives, they've wandered in a veritable wilderness all of their life. Well, I say I forgot about who was there and who wasn't there, and I made my way to that altar. And I like to stop at this juncture to praise the Holy Spirit for the gentle, tender, loving manner in which he led. Friend, I want to tell you, the Holy Spirit never forces, never drives, you don't need to worry about the Holy Spirit taking something from you that you don't want to give him. He won't touch it till you give the consent of your will. Someone said the will is the hinge on which our soul turns. The will is not feeling, 
but it's a settling of the will, giving it to God. I mentioned a while ago the Lord didn't show me everything at once, but just one thing at a time he would lay his finger on and say, Son, what about this? I've usually tried to illustrate it in this manner, and I guess I'll keep on till the Lord shows me a better way. I don't know if you folks believe in going to chiropractors or not, but Sister Scott and I do believe in doing such. In fact, I have wished desperately one for one this week. Got a kink in my back I'd like to get some help for. But it's always been a mystery to me how the chiropractor can run his fingers down your spine and he'll stop at a spot and say, it's sore right there, isn't it? Brother McCurry, I never knew how he could know that. But he was right. It was. And I want to tell you one better than that. The Holy Spirit knows where every sore place is in our spiritual spine. And it just seemed like that night the Lord started down my spiritual spine and when he got to a sore place, he'd stop and apply a little pressure and say, what about here? What about this? Now they tell me that if you can actually relax in the hands of a chiropractor, he can do a lot more for you. Have you heard that? But does anyone else have the problem I have? If he's pushing down, I'm pushing up. I just can't seem to help it. And if he's twisting on my neck, I resist. I guess afraid it'll go around once too many or something. But I also want to tell you one better than that. If you can just yield to the Holy Spirit. Brother, it doesn't take him long to get everything back in perfect adjustment and bring you into spiritual wholeness and wellness and health. And as I said, he just started down my spiritual spine that night and when he got to a sore place, he applied that pressure as I mentioned one of the things he located as he came down my spiritual spine, it, well, let me say this, it seemed like everything he touched that last night all went back to one central taproot of pride. Pride. Not furniture polish, a different kind. And friend, I didn't know I was proud. But it's a scriptural truth. We don't know our hearts till the precious Holy Spirit pulls back the draperies and lets the light shine in. And I tell you, before he finished with me, it looked like everything I'd ever done had been tainted with old carnal pride. For if the Lord would help me sing or help me preach, and I was trying to do both, there'd be that something on the inside that would kind of wonder, did I go over pretty well? Will I get a call back, you know? Friend, we don't need to go over. We need to get under. It's not us. People need to see. We need to get out of sight so that the glory 
only is His. And a man of God never touches what God does. And one of the things the Lord touched as He came down my spiritual spine, He showed me I was proud of my education. Had a master's degree at that time and plans to go on for the doctorate. And the Lord said, you've got pride in that education. I didn't know I was proud of it. I, I love to go to school. Always have loved school. And I had plans to go on, but the Lord said, you've got pride in it. And the Lord required something of me that I don't believe he requires of everyone. I don't preach it as what other people must do. Friend, we don't get sanctified by doing what somebody else did. We get sanctified by following the leadership of the Holy Spirit. I tell you, the experience of holiness is custom made. And he has one that will fit you and satisfy you. And you wouldn't trade with anybody. But here's what he required of me. And I'm not saying or suggesting anyone else has to do this. But he required that when he would lay his finger on something, that I would not only confess it to him, but that I would also confess it to the people that were around me praying for me. Did you know it's easier to confess to God? Would you agree with that than to people? <clears throat> I don't know altogether why that is, but I'm going to suggest a couple of reasons. One thing you know that God always understands, but very often people do not. Another thing, you know that God won't tell anybody else. <laughs> but people often do. Now, I can keep a secret. It's just the people I tell where the problem is. You understand how that works, don't you? But I believe the main reason it's harder to confess to people than to God is because, and I say this carefully, I'm not saying it lightly. I believe most of us have more fear of man. Are you listening? More fear of man than we have of God. Jesus said it shouldn't be that way. Don't fear man that can only touch the body. Fear God. And dear heart, I'm afraid a lot of people are going to miss heaven because of a man-fearing spirit. Afraid of what somebody might think or not think if they did certain things. Friend, there's coming a day, and I don't believe it's very far down the road. It isn't going to matter what anybody thinks. The only thing that's going to matter is what God knows. Well, I didn't want to tell those people I was proud of my education. I wanted them to think I was a better fellow than that. And most of us want to sell for more than we're really worth. And I said, Lord... Show me something else. I thought surely there'd be something else easier to do than confess that. But you know what? The Lord would not show me anything else till I obeyed Him on what He had already shown me. And I believe there's a scriptural principle there. God does not give us more light till we walk in the light He's already given us. I may be speaking to someone tonight that's wanting God to give you light. What about the light He's already given you? Walk in that light, and then he'll give you more light. So the Lord wouldn't give me something else, but I'll tell you what he did do. And what he'll always do. He gave me grace to confess out to that pride 
in my education. And I told the people there what the Lord had shown me. And I made a vow to God that night. I said, Lord, I'll never go to school another day in my life because I'd been planning to go to get a doctorate. I said, I'll never go to school another day in my life unless you open the door. And I'll just jump ahead far enough to tell you it was three weeks after the Lord sanctified me that he gave me a call to pastor the church in the university city and the permission of the church to attend the university. And God gave me grace and strength to finish the degree. But I want to thank God that I died to it before I ever got it. It doesn't weigh a snap of my finger, but the approval of the Holy Ghost is what I desire above everything else. I'm about to feel religious again. <laughs> Praise God. Feel a witness down here as I preach to you. Another thing the Holy Spirit laid His finger on, and He showed me I had a place-seeking spirit. A place-seeking. A ladder-climbing spirit. Am I making myself clear? He showed me the reason I wanted that higher education was so I would be eligible for higher positions. Oh, I didn't want to tell those people that I had an ugly thing like that in my heart. Carnal ambition is ugly in anybody, but it is doubly so in the heart of a preacher. Friend, in the kingdom, there's no place for political wire-pulling or place-seeking. But I tell you, if God gives you a place to work, you're just so delighted to have a place in His kingdom, you wouldn't trade places with anybody. You don't covet anybody's position. But you want to fulfill the calling that God has placed upon your heart. Well, I say again, I, I didn't want to tell those people. And one of the ways that that place-seeking spirit manifested itself was this. I'd always gotten numbers of calls for revivals and camp meetings. And since I was in Bible school work, I couldn't accept them all. Some of them would be from rather large camps and large churches. And some of them would be from small camps and small churches. And since I couldn't accept them all, it was rather easily easy to sort them out. Here's one from a small church. Here's one from a large church. Which one shall I take? And as Paul Harvey would say, you probably already know the rest of the story. I said, I believe I'll take this one from the large church. After all, I can minister to more people. My, that sounded reasonable, didn't it? But to the God that doesn't just look at what we do, but looks way on down beyond our actions to the realm of our motivations, He's not just looking at what we do, but why we do it. And the Lord said, that wasn't why you took the bigger church. It wasn't so you could minister to more people. It was because you wanted that higher place. Oh, 
I didn't want to tell those people. And again, I said, Lord, please show me something else. I thought surely there'd be something. He wouldn't do it. But he did send some more grace. And I confessed that to that old place seeking spirit. And you know what else happened? The Lord just pulled it out by the roots. <laughs> Till I can preach to little crowds. And I have, it was a few years ago, in fact, I can't tell you, seven years ago, eight years ago, we had a man in this camp meeting from India, Brother Bob French had arranged for Brother Daniel to come. And because I was one of the evangelists in this camp meeting at that time, Brother Daniel sat under our ministry and he extended an invitation for me to come to India to speak in their convention. Now, my real assignment was just to preach in the day services. And you'd just have a little handful in the day services, maybe 3,500, 4,000. That'd be about all that would be in the day services. And that was really my assignment. And they wouldn't let anyone else come except card-carrying Christians. Isn't that something? It was for Christian workers. You had to show that you were a Christian to get in there. But at night, they op it was under a, this was under a big brush arbor that would have hold, would hold 4,000. But at night, I don't know if I even ought to tell you this out loud. You might not think he ought to do it, but I'm going to go ahead. I didn't even know it was happening until the camp was nearly over. The speaker was being videoed. And outside, there was a big screen about 15 feet by 15 feet. And ten, over 10,000 more people filled that area over two blocks long. I preached through five interpreters, one on either side of me, and out there at the microphone outside, two more interpreters. And I spoke English. I had the privilege of speaking to 15,000 people and testified to them of the sanctifying grace of God. That's the biggest crowd I've ever had the privilege of preaching to. But you know what? I think it was the same year. We went to a little group of people in Ter and, uh, near Terry Haute, Indiana. A little group that had lost their church. And they were having to meet in a home. An old couple in the church had moved the furniture out of the dining room and living room. Set up a few chairs. We had six there the first night. You know what? I felt just as happy, just as much in the center of the will of God, <laughs> preaching to six because the Lord was there, even where two or three are gathered together in His name. There am I. And we had two definite healings right there that first night. Only six people, Sister Scott and I were two of them. I'm just telling you, you can die out to position. You can die out the place. And you can say with David, I delight to do thy will, O God. Whatever that is, you delight to be in the center of the will of God. I'm feeling that spirit again right now. Bless his name. Well, let me try to hurry this to a conclusion. The longer the Holy Spirit dealt with me, the smaller the things became. But the harder they were to acknowledge. I had in my wallet at that time quite a number of credit cards. And the Holy Spirit said, you've got pride in those credit cards. 
Now, I do not know to this day why anybody would have pride in a credit card. They tell us now we ought to be ashamed of them. And uh, about the first of the month, I do have one I'm a little ashamed of at times. <laughs> Got a heavier amen than I anticipated on that one. <laughs> But the Lord said, you've got pride in them. And I thought, Lord, I couldn't tell people I've got pride in these credit cards. For the man that was there from back home, Brother Omer Witt, was a businessman. He was kneeling right behind me praying for me. I said, Lord, I know Brother Witt's got him in his pocket too. What will he think if I confess to pride in the credit card? Now, friend, I'm not even sure the Lord was after the credit card. But he was after that man-fearing spirit that said, what will he think? Friend, we'll either get that man-fearing spirit crucified or it'll destroy us. It'll keep us from minding God. Brother Scott, do you mean you don't care what people think? I don't mean that at all. I do care what people think. I know I can't help people if they don't respect me. I am concerned and I'm careful how I live because I don't want to bring a reproach. But the Lord wouldn't let me off but I finally took my wallet out and spilled those credit cards under the altar and told the people that I've got the Lord showed me I had pride in these credit cards. I didn't leave them there. I picked them up and I, I even carry some of them still. It gives me a way to get to camp meetings and revivals. And if things don't go real well, I've got a way back home. And there's been a few cases, been a few cases where it came in real handy. One pastor asked me how much he owed me at the end of the meeting. And I wasn't expecting that question. I said, oh, I may never make a charge. And well, he said, we really appreciate it. And that's all the pay there was. <laughs> so I've tried to come up with a better answer in case I ever am asked that question. The last thing that the Holy Spirit laid his finger on was, and by the way, I want to tell you, when God deals with you, there will be a last thing. <laughs> as long as it was going, I was beginning to wonder, will there come an end to this? In fact, I got to wondering, am I off course? And I thought, I know what I'll do between services. I'll get me a good book on holiness and read it to see if I'm on course or not. And if I wanted an easier way, I got a hold of the wrong book. It's one of Daniel Steele's books. And I turned to one of the chapters. It said, Death to the Old Man. And I began reading that chapter. And I became convinced I wasn't off course. The Holy Spirit was leading me step by step. And He will lead you. Don't be discouraged if it takes a little time. But He'll lead you all the way. And the last thing that the Holy Spirit laid His finger on was the smallest of all. But it was the hardest to acknowledge. That's my old carnal nature. I had at home a little rubber stamp with my name and address on it where you would put it to a stamp pad and then put the return address on an envelope. 
It was before the days of zip code, so it didn't have zip code on it. But the Lord said, you've got pride in that rubber stamp. And I could feel myself sinking just as soon as the Lord mentioned that. I thought, oh, Lord, I do appreciate the help you've given me up to this time. But there just wouldn't be any way that I could tell these people that I've got pride in a silly little thing like a rubber stamp. What would they think, Lord? What would, there it is again, that old man-fearing spirit. What would they think? I felt like it would kill me to confess to pride in that. That's actually what the Lord had in mind all along was to bring me to the place of crucifixion and dying out to my own will and my own way and my own reputation and what people thought and what they didn't think. That's what God had in mind. And that term came to my mind. I'd heard it for years, but I'd never understood it. Dying grace. Dying grace. Friend, that doesn't just mean grace to when you're going to make the crossing your physical death. God has dying grace to help you to be willing to reckon yourself to be dead indeed unto sin. And I just felt like I couldn't do that. And I prayed, and I prayed, and I prayed. I think I prayed longer over that silly little rubber stamp than anything else the Lord has laid His finger on. The good part about it is He hadn't run out of grace. He already has that grace packaged up, friend, to send your way and my way when we give the consent of our will. And finally, after long praying, I felt like I could confess it. I, I just feel like I need to repeat this again. God will never ask anybody to do anything but what He will furnish all the grace you need to do that. He's not going to leave you hanging out there. He's going to be with you. But finally, that grace came. And I stopped praying Everyone else around me stopped praying. I, it got really quiet. I think it had gotten interesting to people by this time. They wondered what would be coming up next. And I said, folks, the Lord has shown me that I've got pride in this little rubber stamp. And, and actually, what the Lord brought to my mind was this. I didn't tell you that. I could remember sometimes sitting at the dining room table, printing it out, printing it out, printing my name out. Now, your old carnal nature didn't act that way, but mine did. And the Lord also said to me, yes, son, but you like to see your name in print too well. Do you understand what I'm talking about? I'm talking about old carnal pride. And I stopped praying and everyone stopped and it got quiet and I, I just told the people, 
I said, the Lord has shown me that I have pride in this rubber stamp and I like to see my name in print too well. <clears throat> and there had been a lady around the altar pray, praying for me every night I'd been there. I never knew who she was till about a year ago either. She had been there every night that I had been praying. She was a real prayer warrior. And thank God for prayer warriors and people that will stay around the altar as long as people want to see. I'm glad I was where people would pray for me. Some places it's a little hard to get through. There's not enough prayer going up. I just saw that in extra. But when she heard me confess to pride in that rubber stamp, she just threw both arms in the air and shouted at the top of her lungs. She said, Hallelujah! You're going to make a nobody out of him. I thought, can't she be quiet? Doesn't she know how this hurts? But I want to tell you, friend, it was precisely at that moment that I became conscious of the fact that it didn't hurt. It didn't even hurt a little bit. In fact, it was beginning to feel really good. And it was also at that instant that a witness came to my heart. Not only had I done all I knew to do, but the witness came. It's done. It's done. The great transaction's done. I am my Lord's and He is mine. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And the saints around me seemed to sense that something had taken place. And they began to exhort me. Put your feet in the water, Brother Scott. Put your feet in the water. I'd heard that expression all my life too. What does that mean? It means when you have wholly obeyed the Lord. For He gives the Holy Ghost to them that obey Him. When you have wholly obeyed the Lord and the Spirit witnesses to you that you have wholly obeyed, there's still a step of faith to be taken to claim the blessing of the Lord. And these saints were urging me, take that step. Put your feet in the water. But you know something? I heard another voice saying to me, what if it doesn't work? Did he ever talk to you like that? Don't claim holiness. What if it doesn't work? I want to bear you good news and tell you something, friend. If you obey from the heart that form of doctrine that was delivered unto you, there's no way it can keep from working. When you wholly obey the Lord, He'll keep His promise. And it'll work. And with the encouragement of the saints, I took that step. I said, I believe He sanctifies me right now. And you know what? There were no lightning bolts. There was no loud clashes or thunder. There was no great emotion. Except, there was a peace that is I cannot describe. There was a rest of spirit that came to my unworthy heart. The songwriter said, Now rest my long divided heart fixed on this blissful center. Rest, nor ever from my Lord depart of Him 
in him of every good possessed. And while I didn't feel particularly different then, my life has been different. My ministry has been different. My, my devotions have been different. My ambitions have been different. It's been the delight of my soul to praise him for the sanctifying, keeping grace of God. And I'd rather preach holiness than anything in this world. And I just felt like tonight I had to testify to you. Tell what Jesus has done for me. And I feel like I've obeyed the Lord. I don't want to take for granted the heritage of holiness that has been passed on. I don't want to lose the fire. Thank you for listening to Convention Pulpit, a ministry of Inner Church Holiness Convention, featuring Wesleyan voices past and present. For more sermons or for more information, visit www.ihconvention.com. This ministry is made possible through the financial support of our listeners. You may give online at ihconvention.com or send your donation to IHC, Post Office Box 99, New Berlin, Pennsylvania, 17855 USA.